Hello and welcome to another edition of Here's the Pitch, sponsored by Masses Restaurants, five locations in St. Louis. I'll talk all about them in a little bit. Uh, anytime I get to talk to a former colleague, I get excited. And I'm talking to Andy Bennis, a former colleague of mine at Fox Sports Midwest. Hello, Andy. Hey, Brad. How are you? You look great. And we're both, and we're both former Padre fans, right? I love the Padres. Yeah. I love the brown. They do. They drafted me. Yeah, for sure. The brown jersey. This is the baseball card right here that we pulled a few weeks ago on this podcast. Uh-oh. Look at that young guy with all that hair. And and I threw about 100 then, and now I throw probably 55. So that's like 45 miles an hour ago. Do you remember taking this picture for this card? I do. You know where that is? Take a guess. Well, it's at Shea. Shea Stadium. Yeah. That's right. What so I loved pitching in Shea Stadium. Uh, I'd either get Doc Gooden, Saber Hagen, uh, Sid Fernandez, Ron Darling, but pitching in that place on a Friday, Saturday night against uh, Doc Gooden was just electric. And so I pitched well there, big outfield. I was a fly ball guy and uh, good memories, but that was at Shea Stadium. Old Bush did shake, I remember. But Shea, when I was there, I've seen some walk-offs for the Mets, playoffs in 06, to see the actual the stands bounce and being underneath the stands. And you're thinking, this place is not going to make it. I mean, it, it was a dump, and I, but I loved the dump. Like I was a huge fan of being able to see places like that before they went because I thought, I need to see these dumps. And I, and I, I loved it. It was great. Big yeah. – yeah. Yeah, the underneath wasn't wasn't great. I was never in the stands there. Uh, the playing surface was probably average at best. Uh, thick grass in the infield, which was nice, and a big outfield. So I thought it was a really good place to pitch. You you know those seven forty sevens going over before their landing in Laguardia was crazy. You're out there pitching, and all of a sudden you hear these planes. It felt like it was going to hit the stadium, even though they weren't that close, but. There was a lot going on in New York and obviously passionate fans for both them and the Yankees and just good memories. Yeah. They had some good teams back there, a lot of really good players. And, uh, you know, we, when I was with the Cardinals, we faced them in 2000, and they were they were really good. Cardinal fan. Well, you were a Cardinal, Cardinal fan growing up, I believe, so you probably hated those 80s Mets. Well, I wasn't really into that. I was a huge Cardinal fan, but not living here. Uh, I didn't really realize how much the Mets were hated being in the same division until I got here and would hear all the stories. Uh, back in the day, I just followed the Cardinals, and uh, I just recently saw a picture. I just tweeted it out of uh, Willie and Ozzy and Vince Coleman, and I had the privilege of being with Ozzy and Willie here in St. Louis uh, as teammates, and then uh, Vinny was in Seattle when I got traded there. We got traded over about the same time. And we're on the first Mariner team that that went to the playoffs, and we were able to beat the Yankees in an epic series. So, uh, just saw that picture and loved watching those guys play. I would remind a man when I was growing up as a kid, I'd watch y'all, and uh, just great teammates, a lot of fun to watch, and just so talented. And I love watching the teams in the '80s, but wasn't really on that uh, hating the Mets bandwagon. Yeah, uh, Evansville, Indiana. Did they have? Jay Randolph and Mike Shannon booming into your house. Right, for sure. And uh, it was just a lot of fun listening to Jack Buck. And I remember in 1982, so I'm a sophomore, freshman, sophomore in high school, and they're in the World Series. 
it was yeah in 82 they're in the world series and my dad was re-roofing the house and i have no interest in that i have no uh i'm not skilled in that way at all i was just like free manual labor right and i'm like dad the world series is on i don't care he's a biochemist he doesn't have any you know no baseball background and uh and so i'm helping re-roof the house trying to get a radio which was was tough and uh just watching the you know listening to those guys watching it when i could i was just a huge cardinal fan and in southern indiana it's st louis cincinnati mostly some chicago fans but uh super fun uh teams to watch and exciting and they ran and the whole whitey ball deal was was really cool and then to have a chance to come here and play and be a part of the tradition was was phenomenal and I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know this. Is dad still alive? Is he still with us? Yeah, my dad. So my dad is a was a biochemist. He's retired. He and my mom live here in St. Louis along with uh, my family, my two younger brothers' families. And so it's, it's really nice. Uh, I tell people all the time, my dad had no baseball background because I think people assume you have three sons, two played Major League Baseball. Adam played six years of minor league baseball with the Cardinals and your dad, you must have grown up with a dad that played catch with you. I've never played catch with my dad. I've never seen him with a baseball. And so they lived in Chicago when uh, when I first started my career. Alan and Adam went to school up in Lake Forest north on the North Shore. And he would come to Wrigley Field and watch the game. But he was more interested in the structure of the stadium and when it was built and all that. And, you know, we'd meet after the game. You know, I have a bunch of family there. And. He'd say, hey, nice game. You know, I'm glad you guys won. And I usually pitched well there. And, uh, man, did you see? This is an old stadium, and it's kind of built like this. And I'm like, Dad, I have no idea, man. I'm trying to get Sandberg, Grace, Sosa, all those guys out. I'm not looking at the structure. Uh, so uh, it's just different. Uh, growing up, you know, is always very supportive. But I think in a lot of ways it, it benefited me and my brothers that, he was just there to watch. He didn't really know what was going on. Uh, he learned about the game of baseball, but there was never any pressure to play or, or do anything like that. He was just there to be supportive, and that was that was good for us. So you guys were bred by horses then because you guys are massive individuals. The reason I asked about if yeah. your dad – the only reason I asked well, if your dad was still alive, I could use – we need a lot of help outside with the roof, and I have a pool that we're trying to put up, so I need someone to come over because I'm not doing it. Yeah, that's out of my uh, that's out of my lane for sure. But people ask all the time. I'm six six. Alan's six five. Adam's six two. My dad's five eleven at the most. Five five ten. Five eleven. And my mom is like five eight. So I don't know where where we got the height size. But uh, you've been around me uh, quite a bit. I'm a pretty big dude, and Alan's big, and Adam's big. So uh, I don't know. Maybe it skipped a generation or two, but. Uh, I think at the end of the day, my mom would take us to the most of the games. My dad would show up and after work and watch, and they were very supportive. But, you know, being around the youth baseball, uh, high school baseball for a long time now with my kids, parents uh, seem to be out of control at times. And I didn't have that growing up, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah, so we see you at a, a cage. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you've been handling COVID, what you're doing to keep uh, busy. I guess people are getting out, but uh, you're you're still in baseball and doing some stuff. What what you got going on there? Yeah, well, at a weak moment about five, six years ago, I took over the original club 
you know, here in St. Louis, uh, the St. Louis prospects. And so I did it with my oldest son, Drew, who was getting out of pro ball. He played four minor league seasons with the Cardinals. And uh, I was just doing it with him. I was going to be the figurehead. And then two years later, he takes a job at the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's a minor league pitching coach. And he's doing exactly what he loves to do and it, where, what he's gifted at doing. So I'm a lot more involved over the last four years, as I should be as the owner. And we have a place in Chesterfield where we train. And I'm just sitting there. Sitting in here right now by myself, it's quiet. Usually there's balls flying, and but uh, with all the baseball on the weekends, kids typically aren't in here Mondays, they're here Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So it's nice and quiet, and I like it. So if you were in your mid-30s, late early 30s, late 20s, and you see this plan that they've come up with now, what would your thoughts be? Would you want to be out there playing? I just read the, today the 110-page manual because I was bored, but it's so crazy. Like, you can't spit. you got to sit in the stand. I mean, all the rules. There's no way they're all going to be followed, but what would it be like for you? Would you be like, let's just bang this season, play next year, or, hey, I want to get paid. This is my, my prime. This is, my, this is what I do. Yeah, I'm not really sure. At 52, it's it's hard for me. I couldn't sit down and read more than five pages. And so I really don't know what's all in there. Uh, you know, this whole thing with the owners and the players, I went through two work stoppages, and it's tough. I can see both sides. Uh, the union has fought for a long, long time to not give in to a salary cap, and they're going to continue to fight. Uh, I see it from the owner's standpoint. They've worked hard. They're business owners, and they run their business the way they run their business. So I'm not sure what what it'll look like. Uh, my only impression is I, I know as a, as a starting pitcher and as a major league player how much you feed off of the crowd, how much your home fans mean to you and that encouragement, how all your adrenaline and uh, – it just, it just feeds off of the crowd. And so to go out in an empty Major League Stadium is like I equate it to right at the beginning of spring training when the pitchers and hitters are back on the backfields and you're throwing live BP. And it's mostly, you know, for it, Dave Duncan would say it's pitching practice. If the hitters swing, great. If they don't. But you're seeing a hitter and it's hard at 10 o'clock in the morning to go out there and face your own players. Uh Without anybody there, the motivation just isn't quite there. And I think guys are motivated to play for sure. But I think as it goes on, it'll be hard. It'll be really hard to play without anybody there. Um, doesn't feel like it's going to go all the way through, too. I just feel like it's, there's no way this thing makes it through 60 games. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. but yeah. Well, I'm not sure what they're talking about with the families. But family is huge, obviously. And to have that support and I don't know if they're going to not be allowed to be with their families. I didn't read the 110 pages. I'm not smart enough to read, you know, my attention spans, probably not that it's not like yours, Brad. So, uh, but I don't know if the families are allowed to be there. I think that would be a real, you know, if guys can't spit or they've got to separate the dugout, whatever, I think they can get away with that. But I think the family's not, if they're not allowed to, and I, I don't know. Uh, if they're going to be quarantined. I was going to say, a young whippersnapper, 21-year-old Andy Bennis with the Padres probably was getting out and getting to the bars, being getting home around 5 in the morning. So that's going to be out. 
Well, that wasn't me. I got married, Brad, at 19. I know. I know it wasn't you. I'm 52. We've been married for 33 years. So uh, she's put up with a lot. Uh, I'm not saying I haven't been out of the bars. Uh, 5 a.m. is probably a little late for me. But uh, at the same time, uh, it's just it's just hard. Uh, I know there's no social distancing in bars. So uh, it's just it'll be different. Uh, I think the whole obviously the world's changing. Uh, There's a lot that's going on that is, you know, really not ideal and sad and uh, you know, I look at people, I just tweeted something out about Willie and Ozzy and, and Vince. And, and then I saw something is, are Lankford, Jordan and Gant the best outfield? I came in with Gant. We signed the same day in, in 19, at the end of 1995 when the new ownership was coming in. And those three guys were patrolling the outfield. Uh, also had Willie out there, uh, Vince, when I was with Seattle. And, you know, I... I want to embrace heritage. I'm real. We we're a multicultural family. We have two kids from Russia. We have uh, a daughter that we just adopted from the Ukraine, and heritage is really important. And I don't want to. I don't want to dismiss that at all. But I think when I say I'm colorblind, in some ways that dismisses that. So I want to be careful with that. But I look at the heart, and the six guys I just mentioned had big hearts. They love their teammates. Uh, they played the game the right way. They were there for the right reasons. And so the fact that those six guys were African-American, I'm white, didn't matter to me. We were family, and we went and fought it out every day. And uh, we laughed together. We cried together. Uh, you know, we tried to win championships together. And it just it hurts my heart to see what's going on because in athletics, yeah, I played with guys, I think, from 11 or 12 different countries. And so very diverse, and it's just sad to see what's going on in our country because we're just not unified, and that's disappointing. I think if everyone played sports, you know, at least in the high school, it changes everything. Um, it forces you to, you know, be in the same room, the same locker room, the same bus, and you get to see some of the things. We were talking about that over the over the uh, weekend where uh, my cousin actually played on the football team and there was a couple black kids in the truck with him and they got pulled over. And they said, where are you going? And, and they were with the white kids. So I just feel like the sports, um, you know, when people want to know why is sports important, especially for youth, you know, you got to get assimilated somehow. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know a black person until I got to fifth grade, and he, Steve Willis became one of my best friends. He sat behind me because that was his last name. So, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I saw. I saw that article, and there's a picture from fantasy camp with me in the middle with Brian Jordan and Ray Lankford. And I said, "That's the best outfield." That was the outfield. People forgot that yeah. I actually kind of subbed out for Ron Gant. Well, they probably had to stick you in center field. Uh, you know, put those guys on the corner because you obviously were better defender than either one of those guys because I've seen it up close and personal. Way faster. Um, <laughs> you mentioned, so let's let's talk a little Cardinals uh, from your, your, your career here. You mentioned that you get here in 96, and uh, it was just such a neat time because there was so much change after the team was kind of in flux without ownership. And you mentioned, I mean, you could go Ron Gant and Bennis and Stottlemyre, uh Tony LaRusa, Eckersley, Honeycutt. I mean, just the turnover was amazing. And then the team doesn't get off to a good start. And I love the I love the stories uh about that team. Uh we had Brian Jordan come join here. 
a couple couple weeks ago to talk about it, but the early on that it wasn't going well with Tony and, and that, that mix because Tony had his own way. Talk about just those early days. And you did not have a great start either, either. No. I, you know, I put so much pressure on myself. I started that year one and six, uh, one and seven through two months with like a six and a half ERA. It was awful. Uh, I was throwing some innings, but they weren't they weren't great innings. And, you know, I stuck it out. A uh, big part of, I think, me kind of getting over the hump was the support I had. You know, you go to Schnucks to the grocery store, and yeah, you know, we had four kids. I was going to the grocery. And when my wife said, hey, I'm like, what do we need at the grocery? We need everything. Okay, well, I learned what everything was, which is which is good for dad, right? But had a lot of support. Uh, but I was one and seven, two and seven, and I'm pitching against Philly. I don't remember a lot of the games, but in 1996, we're playing at Bush Stadium. I'm, I'm in the ninth inning. I believe it was a tie game, and bases loaded, two outs. I know the game you're going to And I make this diving catch. It was me making a diving catch. You were, it was you making a diving catch in the right center field gap, and you were disguised as Brian Jordan, right? Yes. You would have made it probably standing up, but Brian had to flash. Had to he had to have and flash, I believe, right? I believe he hit a walk-off. Uh, I think he hit a, a home run to win it. Somebody did. I'm almost positive it was BJ. But that really, that play, you get some momentum. And I rolled off 10 wins in a row and ended up the season with 18 wins. And we go to the play where game away from the World Series. And, uh, you know, just what a cool opportunity to play with such athletic guys i play with some great players in san diego but we could never put it together and as that season went on the team kind of bonded and and put together a great run and uh as you know uh being in the media tony wasn't always the easiest guy to deal with um you know he was he didn't really mess around with the pitchers a whole lot uh eckersley was on that team and and Tony would come into a pitcher's meeting and Eck would tell him to leave. And uh, it was that was fun. We're like, you don't know anything about pitching other than you couldn't hit it when you played. And so get out. And so typically he did. But, you know, it was I think it was tough for the the everyday guys to kind of get to know him because he's a little bit different. But one thing I will say is he was the most prepared guy uh, at the ballpark every day. He learned his players, what made them tick, how he could get the most of them. And I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, he'll, he would come up in the outfield, and I might be pitching the next day. And he'd, he'd just stand next to me with his bat, uh, his fungo, and during BP, and he'd say, hey, you're pitching tomorrow, right? Like he didn't. I go, yeah, I, I am. If you put me in the lineup, I am, right? And he said, you know, you are really, really good at burying the fastball into these righties. And you're facing Houston, and you're going to have to establish that to keep them off your fastball and slider away. You're really, really good at that. I look forward to watching it. And then he just walk off. But he was a master motivator, and he knew what was going to motivate each guy, and he would use that to his advantage because – he was all in for the Cardinals. I mean, he was not, you know, he didn't live here. 
Uh, I don't think he was uh, really accepted here like obviously Whitey was because Whitey lived here and was here year-round. But he was all in for the Cardinals and, and did an amazing job. And you win two world championships, you get accepted. Um, you talked about early on that year. I, th- there, I remember there's a story with you and Pagnazzi. Uh, at some point, Pags kind of pulled you aside in a game, right? But it got heated. Yeah. Tell me – because that's I always think about those because it, it, you could have gone two ways. You didn't know him that well, and you could have possibly yeah. thought this was not uh, something that you needed or wanted to hear. But he clearly was trying to, to do this the right way and help to get to you. What made you not pound him because you could have? Uh, but talk, tell us about that story because there was a time where he just he called you, pulled you off the field, I think, right? Yeah. Well, I was pitching a day game in Bush Stadium, and I wasn't going very well. Like I said, we start off, I start off the season bad. He comes out to the mound, and Joe West happened to be umpiring that day. And Joe's a no-nonsense guy, right? You know him. He's, he's not, he doesn't mind confrontation. And if you want to argue balls and strikes, you can throw it right down the middle. He'd, He'll say ball and take his mask off and look at you like, do you really want to mess with me? Can I so ask real quick? I mean, what do you guys think of that, though? Don't you get sick of that after a while? Or, or is it because he's around long enough you have to respect it and just be? Well, I'll say this. You don't have any impact on what he does. And if you're going to argue and then throw strikes and he says ball and looks at you, you're not going to argue, right? <laughs> like, okay, case, case, point made. But it was one of those days where – I was just having a hard time. Uh, Pags was putting down signs. I'm no, no, double no. And it was hot as day game. I wasn't pitching great. So Pags calls time, comes to the mound. And he's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, what do you mean what's wrong with me? You know, it's hot. My ERA is like 100. Uh, it got base runners all over the place. You know, whatever. Now, at this point, you know, this is na- you know, we're on TV. People are waiting to watch. And about that time, Joe West shows up. I'm like, Joe, can you just take Pags and, and go back behind the plate? And he goes, no, I want to hear what Pags has to say. Because, you know, the umpire is going to be tight with the catcher, not the pitcher. And so Pags said, hey, listen, I've got a couple observations for you. I keep putting all these fingers down and you're saying no. By the way, this is a true story. He goes, a couple observations. Number one, you don't have that many pitches. And I'll because... I don't want to use bad language. He's like, number two, and I'm paraphrasing, he's like, the pitches you have suck. So here's what's going to happen. Joe and I are going to go back behind the mound. You keep shaking your head. I'm going to make it easy for you. Joe and I are going back behind home play. Throw whatever you want. No signs. I don't care. Your stuff's not that good. I'll catch it. And they left. I'm like, okay, game on, right? If I wasn't motivated, which usually I was, but it's on. And so – I'm throwing mid-90s and a 90-mile-an-hour slider, and he wasn't even watching me. He's talking to Joe with his head half-turned, and he caught everything I threw. I get through the inning, and he's like, meet me in the tunnel. And I'm like, okay, you know, the good stuff's not going to happen right in the dugout. It's going to happen underneath the stadium. And I'm like, okay, I'm 6'6", 250. I'm going to just pound him because I'm going to hammer him. And I tell people when I have a chance to talk, I'm like, what he said knocked me out. He said, why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? You played college ball. You were the first pick. Uh, you you played six years in San Diego. Uh, your teams weren't very good. You've relied on yourself, but you have to learn to trust. And that was a big, that was a kind of a turning point for me. Not that a pitcher is always going to throw what the catcher wants, but the catcher is catching every day. He knows who's hot, who's not, what the swings look like. 
and I can watch video and all of that, but I'm not seeing it firsthand from the standpoint that the catcher is. So that had a huge impact on me. Uh, I'm very thankful that he was willing to risk that confrontation to help a teammate. And uh, that's what makes guy. that's what will make guys great teammates is they want what's best for the team, not necessarily themselves. And uh, so that was a good, uh, yeah, that was a fun memory and a, a point well taken. Yeah. I got to get him on here. Cause he tell he's got so many great stories and the one that I'm going to bring up storyteller yeah, and he tells him great too. Um, but the, the game seven uh, NLCS against the Braves where Osborne, um, Kind of just did not have it that night, um, but he he says I, I came in to face the leadoff guy. I was gonna, down six to nothing in the first inning. I was going to ask. So, yeah. so the the story he tells about Osborne was he he, came, he comes to Dave Duncan in the dugout and, and he goes, boy, if he was a sh- if he was a horse, we'd shoot him right now because he's just he was sweating like he had it. He left it all in the bullpen. So uh, Pags knew it was going to be bad. Uh, I guess Tony. I, I would have known that. I would have lobbied harder because I started game one and then I started game four on short rest. And I think he was thinking, you know, well, uh, I've talked to Tony a lot about it because I'm like, I lobbied for that. And, you know, we tried to win it at home and Stottlemyre threw on short rest and we got hammered uh, 15 to nothing. And then my brother threw a great game, but Allen could have thrown at home in a safe environment. And then Stott could have started in Atlanta against Maddox, and hopefully we could have won one or the two. But, you know, it's hindsight, and, you know, I came in that game, but it was it was over after five or six batters. Well, how hard is it? Yeah, how hard is it to pitch in that at, it was six not – I mean, it's not over. We've seen that. But it at those right. days, it's the Braves. They've Their momentum is just on. And what's well, it like kind of – a Hall of Fame guy. You're, we, we weren't facing some scrub that they – had to throw out there because they were out of guys. I mean, he was on top of his game and uh, was winning, you know, 18 to 20 games every year. And so, I mean, he was just lights out. And a lot of teams lost three games in a row to Smoltz, Maddox, and Glavin during the season. And so even though we were up three to one, it was tough. I remember in that series, and we've talked about it since, uh, Eck came in and got the final outs in game four. And when he did, he kind of gave that little whip-de-doo with his hand, and and we're like, oh no, you know, they weren't, may, they were maybe sleepwalking a little bit, but that may have woken them up. And you know, you don't want to do anything to incite the other side, and I think in some ways that did. But starting pitching when you have those three guys, you know, you don't need a you don't need a whole lot offensively, and and they were able to score a bunch of runs and. It's just the way it is. Yeah, and Tony, I know, doesn't – he'll have an answer for every move and every reason why he made a decision. But, I mean, has he come off of – yeah, that might have been a mistake to those those three. Well, I'm not sure about that. I do know that in 2002, which was my last season, uh, I'd gotten sent home, was pitching terrible. A bunch of guys failed. I call Walt Jockety, and I'm like, you guys are paying me a lot of money, and I'm sitting at home, and your guys are terrible. And – the guys that were filling in for me and I had, my wife would remind me your ERA is like 11. So they're not terrible. They're, they're at like a six, but uh, at the end of the day, I come back, I led the national league in ERA the second half of the season and I'm pitching in game, game four. Uh, we're down two games to one. 
I think it's game four. I'm pitching really well, and uh, and I'm in the sixth inning. We're winning two to nothing, and I have two outs, and I walk Jeff Kent. No, there's one out. I walk Jeff Kent on a tough three-two pitch, and so Dave Duncan comes out to the mound, and I'll say it again: the, the score is two nothing, and Barry Bonds is coming up, and obviously in that series, Bonds is not going to beat us, right? Game one, he hit a home run. Game two, I think he hit a home run. Game three, and I think he was one for two. He'd hit a ball through the right side. But Dunk comes out and says, hey, be careful with this guy. I'm like, well, you didn't have to run out here to tell me be careful with him, right? He goes, Tony wants you to kind of work around him. We want you to walk him, but we're not just going to intentionally walk him. We don't want to hack off uh, the next hitter. And so I'm like, okay, I can throw it where it looks like it's close, but it's probably a half a foot off the plate, and he's not going to swing. So I end up walking him, and I'm getting ready for Benito Santiago with two on and got a two-run lead and ground balls out of the gets me out of the inning. And here comes Tony out to the mound. And it didn't dawn on me till he was like halfway to the mound that I'm out of the game, throwing a shutout. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And he shows up to the mound. He's like, hey, I'm going to make a move. I like the sinker ball or get it out of the inning and whatever. And I wasn't really listening to him that close because I was thinking, I cannot believe you're here. And so he's like, I give him the ball. And I said, let me tell you something, just like this. Let me tell you something. If I knew you were going to take me out, I'd have pitched the bonds because I'm like, unless we make to the World Series, I know my career's over. I'm I'm not going to play after that year. I'm like, I'm leaving on a good note. You'd already sent me home once. And I just said, I had a pitch to him. And so later on that winter, we lose in like five, we lose four games to one. And uh, it was the writer's dinner. And I think I was the comeback player of the year or something. He was introducing me and he said, I wish I wouldn't have taken you out of the game. I'm like, me too. <laughs> I mean, it's water under the bridge and, you know, it's no big deal. But at the time, I'm like, wow. You know, that's how my, that's the last pitch I threw uh, was to intentionally walk one of the best players to ever play the game. But uh, it wasn't expected from my, from my standpoint. Yeah, and I just feel like the older, and he was still, I mean, he was 20 years in the game or 25 years in the game, even by... The 96 we're talking about where he, he did that pitching. In 2000, he sent um, Kyle to the podium and then pitched Ank, and then Ank had the – and I just – I wonder if he ever just thinks – I'm sure he thinks about that one. But I feel like those little things did not seem to happen later in the, the 06, 07. Like he didn't have to play any more games. He's, you know, it was like, listen, I'm just going to let these – but he, I always felt like he still was trying to prove to some, you know, play games and – what about that? That time, yeah, I I totally understand what you're saying. I agree with you. There was more more mind games. Listen, if you don't trust Ankiel to go out and pitch, which it got kind of ugly, you know. Even in that game, we scored six, I think, off Maddox in the first inning. And you know, you, you got to win that game. If if that happens, you got to win it. And so, I just think sometimes there was maybe some over analysis. Instead of just, listen, if you're a major league pitcher and you're starting a playoff game, go talk to the media. If you can't really say a whole lot and you're like, I'm just really nervous, say, man, I'm nervous, but I'm, I feel good about tomorrow and that's it. See ya. But I think more mind games and 
maybe we'll throw the other team off or whatever. I don't know what it was, but uh, I agree with you. Later on in the, his career, it was a little more. Ankiel's deal was a little little different for sure, but uh, he usually had a reason. Uh, it was usually a well thought out reason. Uh, did it always work? No, but you know that's life. Every decision a manager makes isn't isn't going to be perfect. A few more minutes with Andy Bennis, the big guy who almost used to look like this. No, no not exactly, Andy. but you know, quite the eyebrows on you there too. Looks like those are painted on. Yeah, man, I, I, yeah, dark hair, big eyebrows. Now it's a little thinner, and uh, you know. So, so my wife said, uh, "What it is?" I've told her, I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to interview, uh, you know, one of the one of the Bennises." She goes, "Oh, which one?" I said, "Well, Andy." Oh, the cute one. She said, "I'm like, hey, yeah. calm down, you." Yeah, so, yeah. I didn't like that. She hasn't, seen me. she hasn't seen me since I didn't have hair. She still, she'll be fine. She likes the older. Um, I'm just seasoned. <laughs> I'm, just a lot, I'm just a lot of wisdom now. How many kids? The, the Bible says gray hair is a sign of wisdom. So here, here yeah. I am. I'm getting there. Just a little bit, a little bit. I'm getting, That's right. I'm trying to do my Tony. I'm going to do the Tony where it grows over my ears. That's my. I like it. Yeah. You. Uh, I want to ask you about Mark McGuire because this this was a big yeah. uh, documentary that came out. And I know you, you did some interviews. Um, what was it like when he showed up for this team in 97 and you getting to watch him do his thing and see kind of the beginnings of uh, him chase 62 in 97 and then in 98 be part of it as you give up one of those bombs? Um, right. What was it like when he showed up and just kind of seeing him do his thing at batting practice? Because it wasn't, it wasn't that big a deal in 97. He, he did get the 58. Um, obviously the next year was the big year where it was just everybody was around. What did you get to see him as a teammate the way I know you came back in 2000, he was here in 01. Um, but at the heart of it, was there a lot going on where you, you'd never seen anything like it? And then again, pitching to him 98 and giving up a 500 foot bomb. <laughs> yeah. Thanks man. I appreciate it. Actually that home run, I was talking about it to, with Buster Olney. So you're in, you're in good company. And I told him that home run may be in the shortest home run other than his 62nd home run in that just barely cleared that line drive. Um, but guys were literally amazed teammates there, there, every major league player is good, but he was on a different, he was on a different scale. And so we even would go out to watch him take BP. And I think as a major league player, uh, when the organization goes above and beyond and they go out and get players and they're trying, you're, you're like, okay, they're, they're trying to help us win. Uh, in 02, Will Clark showed up. I know we just lost a really tough game in Montreal and Jockety walked in. He said, you know, I know it stinks. We just had a tough game. We just traded for Will Clark. He's going to meet us. And everybody was fired up because they're like, the organization wants us to win and they're going to put those pieces together. So it was like that with Big Mac. Uh, he was just so much fun to watch. Uh, it was just everybody that saw him obviously would, would know. It's like home run derby and BP. And uh, it was just so much bigger and majestic than anybody else that would, would take swings. Uh, I did give up a home run in, in 98. Uh, first time I ever faced him. Uh, I faced the Cardinals in St. Louis after I went to the D-backs and had a, my contract fell through and I was so sad. I ended up in Arizona and it, it, it turned out fine, but I wanted to be a Cardinal. And so I faced him in, in St. Louis, it was a doubleheader and he didn't play the second game that I started. Uh, so I faced him in Arizona and first time I faced him, three pitch, three fastballs, third one swung through it. And I'm like, okay, I got it. 
I got enough to get it by him. Next time, bases loaded, didn't get it by him, grand slam. Uh, ball that almost hit the roof, and then it, it made it out. So uh, he was a, a fun guy to watch. He was very prepared. Uh, he knew what hitters were going to try to do to him. He was he was fairly disciplined, didn't go out of the strike zone a lot for a, a big slugger. And even in 98, uh, like I said, I was in Arizona, but, you know, the Cardinals would be playing. We'd be getting done with batting practice because we were two hours different and uh, in time. And it was just fun to watch. Everybody wanted to know what he and Sosa were doing. And I gave up a home run to both of them, so I was impartial. But I helped them get to their number, and uh, that home run chase was was super fun. Obviously, uh, we know a lot more about what guys were doing and all of that, and you know, guys do what they are going to do. Uh, I played the game clean, which was great, and a lot of guys did. A lot of guys didn't, but those two guys were phenomenal hitters. Uh, they were phenomenal sluggers, uh, just like Bonds and. I say all the time, those three guys are bona fide Hall of Famers. Uh, did they make mistakes? Sure. There are a bunch of Hall of Famers that were in the same boat that they are. And few of them even got caught and served suspensions. But, uh, you know, hopefully those three guys, because they are such a big part of Major League history, will uh, make it in. Yeah. And I always think about 2001. I don't think people really rep- – I mean, they remember 98 98- – a little bit. I mean, he hit sixty five and ninety nine, but in two thousand, Jim Edmonds hit forty. Uh, McGuire was on that team. I think he had thirty by the All Star break. Right. He got hurt in 01, but then you could have had Pujols and Albert and Edmonds and Renteria. Right. I mean, you, this. Yeah. But he got hurt. And I just it just it sucks that he didn't get to, to continue on. Um, but those right. were that that two thousand team. I know I did a, sh- a show with you on that, and we talked about it. Um, I mean, we always look at the offense, but there was five guys who made, I think, about 27 or more starts. I bet you don't know who the only guy not to make a start was out of your Henkin, Bennis, Kyle, and Keel, Morris. Was Morris on the – he wasn't in the rotation. There was five guys. Me. No, you – okay, then who was the sixth? Who made six starts that year? There was only six guys to make yeah, starts. I'd, I'd hurt my knee. I'd hurt my knee – like in August, um, I tore my meniscus and didn't have surgery and kind of limped through the rest of the year. Um, who was the guy that didn't make that 2000? Mike Morgan. Britt Reams. Britt Reams. Ah, there's a name from Britt, the past. Britt and my, he and my youngest brother, Adam, played together in the minor leagues and were good buddies. So Yeah, and I always remember, he came in when Ankiel kind of got roughed up in the game one and i think he pitched like four innings it's like a, one of the, i love these names that get forgotten um right. so i have uh, maybe a couple more seconds with if you don't mind i'd love to open some yeah. baseball cards with you and then we'll be done and awesome. maybe maybe you'll 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 maybe you'll pop up again like you did here when we opened up some fleer um okay. i got let's see 19 19- well, when you make it through 14 major league seasons you're gonna have a bunch of cards um <laughs> i was gonna say i love my 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 first card was uh evansville was in my Evansville uniform in college and uh, number one draft pick card. And then uh, probably my favorite card was the uh, Olympic card uh, that I played in the 88 Olympics and super cool to represent the greatest country in the world. And uh, we, we won a gold medal and a lot of good friends from that team. And, uh, you know, I'd see 
I'd see Barry Larkin and McGuire and Will Clark and all these guys that played in 84. And I'm like, you guys were good, but uh, silver, we got the gold. A lot of fun, but uh, great group of guys. And so that's my favorite card. And there's no baseball in the Olympics anymore. I mean, what is... Yeah, they got badminton and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, nothing against badminton. I played it a few times. But, I mean, if they have they have curling and stuff, and I mean, come on. It's America's pastime. Right. It's a world It's a world sport. I'm going to go 89 Bowman. So these are actual – I this, this is a special occasion, Andy. I actually bought these in 1989, and I found yeah. them. So the, some of these other ones I buy on Amazon, and it's like just fun. But this is a, this I've not opened as I bought it when I was what 11 years old. 89 right. Bowman. Bowman was the old card maker that came back in '89 because it was a big deal and everybody was making yeah. cards. So I'm opening the cards. Actually, how many kids do you have now? Because I didn't like seven. How do you do yeah, this? Seven and five grandkids. That is amazing. Drew, Bryn, Bailey, Shane, Brock. Bliss and Bria, and then Andrew, Brooklyn, Addison, Maddox, and Mabry are our five grandkids. Did you name a kid after John Mabry? Uh, no. In fact, we have a Maddox and a Mabry, uh, my daughter uh, and her husband, and they're like, they, no, they didn't even think about that. Um, you know, we have, a, we have a Brock, and people... He was our adopted son. He's our adopted son from Russia. And they're like, oh, you named him after Lou Brock. I'm like, no, my wife just liked the name Brock. So Lou's a great guy. Love him. Uh, one of my favorites from before my generation. And But now it's just they like the name. That's how, it. how many? You've adopted two or three? Three. Wow. One from the Ukraine and two from Russia. So how's, how old's the oldest and how old's the youngest right now? 31 and 10. Okay, that's not terrible. I thought maybe you were going back to your... Where you have to start well, doing diapers. Married, yeah, we've been married 33 years, and yeah. Okay, so I have the so, gum. I'm not going to eat any gum, but love there's it, yeah. Gum I'm sure that's the- good. That's still good. Oh, my goodness, first card. I love it. I'm going to show it to the camera over there here it first. Is. Yeah, I know that one. Do you know it's this? It's a little bit. It's a. Oh. Who'd you think it was? It's okay, not you. good. I thought it was me, but yeah, good. Well, you might be in there, but that's Big Mac, Mark McGuire, number one ninety-seven. Big Mac, yeah, I can see that. That's nice. He was big back. He had forty-nine home runs as a rookie, so it yeah. wasn't like he did I think this. People forget that. I mean, it's yeah, okay, crazy. Great Met. This guy. When I was a kid, I used to try to throw. I would always mimic yeah. motions, and he was yeah. like nineteen and three. It's David Cohn. Yeah. Any David Cohn stories? Uh, he was he was yeah, filthy. Yeah, I faced him uh, when he was with the Mets for sure, and he was so tough. And then. Game five in the division series, he started for the Yankees. I started for the Mariners. And I tell people all the time, we, and it was an epic game. He was pitching, it was, we were down four to two in the eighth inning. And Joe Torrey, or no, it was Buck Showalter at the time, left him in the game. He threw over 150 pitches. And he was trying to get to his closer. And he didn't want to put in, the setup guy. Guess who that was? I was going to say Graham Lloyd, but no, hold on. No, Mariano Rivera. Mariano Rivera. Rivera. Right. Jeter was their backup was shortstop. Wetland. Mariano Rivera was going to be their closer next year, but he, he would not put him in. He was warmed up, ready to go, and we end up winning that game. Uh, Rivera threw in that game and threw well, but he would not put him in in the eighth inning, and we tied it up. And uh, But it's crazy. Uh, Cone started that game and was just phenomenal. Uh, great pitcher. That one's been on a lot during this this yeah. quarantine. Yeah. I've sat and watched it because I know people talk about it a lot. It is great. The the feeling in that dome. 
I don't remember watching it. Is it? It feels like to me it's got to be. Out of, you pitching a lot of playoff games. This feels like this has to be the the one because it's game that five. Place was shaking. Was that it? place literally the kingdom was shaking. My wife was there. She was pregnant with our fourth, and my oldest son Drew was there. He was he was eight at the time, and it was just electric. They you know the Mariners got to the playoffs, and it really got Safeco Field built. It, there was a referendum on that, and they were like, if you guys get make the playoffs, they're gonna get a new stadium, and so. Seattle was just on fire, and that team, I remember Jay Buhner telling me once I got there, he said, if you keep our team within six runs in the first five innings, we'll win. Just don't give up like 12 runs in the first three innings. And I'm like, Jay, I haven't gotten six runs in a game in like five years. (laughs) You know, the games I'm pitching, they're like two to one. If I got three runs, I was ecstatic. He's like, just keep us within six. And in that stadium, in that, uh, with those fans and the excitement, it was just electric. And we were really, really good at home. Yeah. And I, you always see the end of that game and the, the big play at the end. But to, be, to sit back and kind of watch it as it develops, see you pitching it. Uh, as you said, David Cohn just kind of throwing everything on the line. Is, that the, is it the biggest game you ever pitch in? Because it's a, it's a clincher game? Yeah, it was the clincher. And, uh, you know, I came in in the clincher in game seven and, as we talked about in with the the Cardinals and the Braves, but being out six to nothing, it wasn't like it was the clincher feeling, but starting that game and the excitement and, you know, I actually threw pretty well. Uh, I'd never been in that. I pitched game two in Yankee stadium that went 17 innings and we were actually down Oh two in that series and won Friday, Saturday, Sunday at home. And uh, that environment inside 70,000 people was just crazy so so you're taking yeah, credit for tough. you're taking credit for safeco being built i'm gonna say i i was part of that um for sure um i didn't pitch great all the time but we were nine and two in my starts in the regular season uh to to finish the season and i pitched well in yankee stadium we lost late in the game and pitched fairly well through six and a third i think and uh we were down but had a chance to win and ended up winning late. Okay, I'm going to run through some more cards, but I have another question for you. This is this is Rance Mullenix, a wonderful player from the Toronto Bull, yeah. Blue Jays, but never faced never faced him. That that By is a good looking guy. I know you probably won't see my card in there. I hope to. those cards those cards were a little bit bigger, right, than a normal card. I know mine was, but that's the only card, and I don't have any reason. I have no idea why it is bigger, right? Yes. yes. Okay, so yeah, that's just a fun fact for the listeners. But uh, <laughs> I signed that card, Andrew. Mine says Andrew Bennis on the front, which I have no idea why. Oh, so, on the Bowman one. Oh, so you, you tell me the about Bowman. the so they okay, so they you actually signed it and then they print it, right? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, interesting. See, all, those are those are all signed, right? Yeah, but here's something I didn't realize because I had the back, I, I had them flipped, so I was seeing the back. I didn't realize their names really are not on. You have to really know who Glenn Davis is there. Yeah. Who I have. Yeah. He was a power hitter of the 80s. Here's power another. Hitter. Dave Valley. Did you get to play with Dave Valley? I don't think he was there anymore by nah, 95. He was gone. He's uh, very – people love Dave Valley whenever you talk. Well, back, back in the day, I mean, before 96, there was no interleague. It was, the, it was called the World Series. So <laughs> that was the interleague. And so, you know – we didn't. We play Seattle in 
in some of the American League teams in spring training, but that was it. We didn't see these guys. And so it was a big jump to move to the American League. Big jump. By the way, this looks like a glamour shot for Dave Valley. I've seen him. Yeah, that was he's got kind of your hairdo these days. I don't think he yeah. ever looked like that. Yeah. Uh, I I, see, like, I would not know who that is if I didn't have the back of the card. That's uh, 1989 Bowman. Gerald, Gerald Young. Gerald Young. Yeah, we, we played together in San Diego. You should know who that is. I'm 53. I'm almost 53, and my eyes are not great. Okay, this here's one. I don't know who this is, and I cannot read the name. Yeah, I don't know. I've never heard of this person. Uh, this is Jeff Sellers from the Reds. Jeff, yeah. do you know him? I wanted to ask. You did, I didn't have to get him out. You did mention your Padre. I wanted to ask, what was it like to pitch on a team that had 101 losses? What is it like every day going out thinking, it's probably not going to work uh, offensively for us? Yeah, um, my first six years in the league, Tom Glavin was with Atlanta. And we were one quality start difference. He had one more quality start. And in six years, he was in the top ten. Now, they had good teams in Atlanta. Not when he got there, but in the 90s. In six years, how many wins do you think he had more than I did? He was in the top 10% in runs run support i was always in the bottom 10 percent. i had the worst run support over those six years what did that equate to in six years for the number of wins let me stop you there andy because wins don't matter i would but i would say 55 off really okay so it was it was 36 wins so six wins a year so i'm 14 and 13 15 and 15 i'm losing 15 games with a three era three oh era I mean, it's tough. It's tough to pitch like that. So when I got to Seattle, and they're like, "Man, we're hey, just get us, just get us through six innings. We'll have ten runs for you. We're gonna, we're gonna score." So that was quite a. I forgot the, I forgot the question you asked, but tough it was pitching. quite a difference. Yeah, pitching with. I mean, a run support is. I remember talking to Dennis Martinez, El Presidente. Right? I'm like, dude, you never get runs. You're in, you're in Montreal. He goes, listen, if we get two. I'm happy three. I'm just, I can't stand it. It's like, I know if I give up one or two, I might have a chance to win uh, two or more. I'm going to lose. But I told you I didn't get any run support. I won one game in six years in San Diego. One where I gave up more than three runs. I won one game where I gave up four. And you're going to run into a game where you give up five or six and the team scores 12, not one time in six years. So it's tough. You don't, you just got to pitch to get guys out, not worry about the score, and that's easier said than done. Yeah, two quick stories. Jeff Supan always says, oh, people come up to me all the time. What, what has changed? What's turned around? He said, nothing. I've done nothing different. I've got Edgar Renteria and Jim Edmonds right. and Matheny and Tony Womack. Roland. Yeah. Nothing I have done has changed yeah. <laughs> from where I pitched in Pittsburgh to Kansas City except those people behind me. I've done nothing different. Uh, then right. it, Dennis Martinez should be in the Hall of Fame. I was watching some old stuff, and then I get down the YouTube hole. I mean, the man pitched for 20 years. He had 18 complete games one season. As a Cardinal fan with the Expos, I never remember us beating him. Uh, It it looks like he was like 3-7, and but his ERA was 2. So he never got run support, like you said. He was really, really good. For a long time. Pitched until he was 45. and like He was was a pitching coach in the Cardinal organization for a while. He was my son's pitching coach one year down at Palm Beach, and – just a wealth of knowledge. That guy, he didn't throw hard. 
He could sink it, cut it, curveball, change up any pitch, any time, and he could flat out compete. Well, he had this crazy delivery. I don't know how, and he stayed healthy. There's not one time that he didn't get more than 25. I mean, he's a guy that I think in this new arm angles. I mean, it's crazy. I had to face him a lot. We'd match up a lot. And man, you just didn't know what was coming. I mean, it was, it was brutal. I don't know how guys hit him because he was never, it was nothing was ever the same with him. And he could flat, he just got guys out. So I know I, I told you to do the 30 minutes. I apologize, but I'm enjoying talking baseball and looking at baseball cards. Steve Sachs as yeah. a Yankee. Right. Nice, fun guy. Uh, had some throwing issues. Yeah. Move on. I, again, this is another one. I can read a little bit, but that is that's Pete O'Brien. Yeah. It's I gotta, think I might have faced him. He was more of an American League guy. Okay, we got a guy with a mustache here. Oh, uh, former teammate. That's Mad a, Dogmatic. Hey, Mike and I... Mike and I pitched together for a couple of years in San Diego and uh, his wife actually uh, did some uh, sold jewelry on the side and uh, was, was super nice. We get to see them here in St. Louis and I bought a few things from her cause my wife had to have them when we were in San Diego. Right. <laughs> and uh, as a young wife of a major league pitcher, so a uh, really cool family, but he and I pitched together and he's a really good golfer, fun to play with. And he he had a long career. Again, one of those things where you start looking at YouTube, you're like, man, this guy pitched a lot. If you look at the back of his baseball card, you, you need you need a bigger card. That dude, if you just read through, you know, pitched, released, signed, was here, AAA, big leagues, got released again, went to. I mean, he played for a ton of different teams, and his journey was yeah. That doesn't that doesn't even start to tell when people cut him loose or. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with the back of this card. All right, this is a former, I believe, first-round draft choice, same year as you maybe, or the next year, uh, John Eriks. John Eriks. So, Wasn't he in the McGuire trade? No. Oh, that was Ludwig. Ludwig and TJ Matthews, yeah. and I can never remember the third person. Yeah. Uh, last one, Curtis Wilkerson, former Cub, little guy. I remember him on that 89 yeah. Cubs team. Yeah, a little bit. So that was fun. Well, those are all the cards I of the Bowman. in the pack. No, we Good got for you. yeah, we got that again in the ninety Fleer, and here you are in the brown Padre jersey. I mean to ask this every time I have a former player: What happens to these jerseys? Do you get to take them with you? What and can I have one? Please, just give me one of these okay, brown. Okay, so so first of all, I never got to play in those mustard tops, which you know I I would have loved to. They we didn't really have throwback games when I was there. It would have been super fun to play in the mustard-colored tops. Um, I would buy like a dozen jerseys every year, like literally buy them. I'd pay for them, and when I like when I was in St. Louis, I'd have Buddy Bates order me twelve jerseys. They obviously would have a couple made up for me, but what I would do is I would pitch in a game, and you know, it's not like I'm going to give somebody if somebody asked me for something for charity or whatever. It's not you know a ball's fine, but it wasn't like I was had could sign a bat or something for him. So what I would do is I'd I'd pitch, I'd get it cleaned, and then I'd sign it and give it away. And you know, every other game or so, every third game, I would have a jersey that if somebody asked me, it was game worn, and I'd sign it and give it away. So I do have a few left uh, from the from the different. You know, you have a obviously uh- I. 
I'll pay you 500 bucks right now. I probably have one of those. Um, I have a blue one for sure. I have the, Don't want the that when they changed the Navy, but it might be somewhere in a closet at my house. You never know. So I can come look in a for box. Can I come? What if I find it? Can I just come over and look through your? Cl- sure. <laughs> I want yeah. that jersey. I just want to. You- I actually have. I do have that jersey. I have one of those jerseys that was signed by the National League All Star team, and it's in a shadow box in my in my in the living room in the basement, uh, along with a shadow box of um, from the Olympic Games, and then I have a frame jersey from all the teams i think the padre jersey was my maybe my home jersey or when we turned to blue but that jersey was signed by a lot of great players from the 93 all-star game so i I do have one of those but probably not going to give that one up to you i don't want that i want the brown and i want it to be eric shaw eric win place or shaw right Rest in uh, peace, but Eric Shaw was one of my favorite. Uh, he yeah. seemed like a nut job. Well, the, that jersey from that card is the one that's in my shadow box. That's, oh. I think, the only one I have, yeah. Okay, well. So I'm probably not going to get that one. Sorry, well. Unless you steal it, which, you know. It doesn't have to be yours, but, yeah, I figured you're the one person I know well enough to say, yeah. Andy, give me that brown Padre jersey. I love those. Yeah. It's my favorite jersey. I've kept yeah. you too long. We, we, we had fun. I enjoyed it. Hopefully you did, yeah. too. This was always fun, and we'll catch up maybe again down the road. But so you got, you got the, uh, the the batting cages are open, right? Tell people how they yeah, can no doubt, yeah. Tell people how they can yeah. come or what what's going on at the batting. I'm gonna cage. go work on my hitting and pitching. Maybe I'll try to make a comeback. All right, that's Andy Benison. Here's the pitch. That's gonna do it. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.